Welcome to New Creation, a home for the creative community of Los Angeles. For more information, visit our website at newcreationla.com. And now, the sermon. Well, today we begin a new series. It is a series on prayer. We're calling it A Vision for the Valley. Over the next several weeks, we're going to uh, take a look at different prayers in the scriptures and hopefully learn how to pray more and more. As I was reflecting on the question this morning, thinking, where did I learn how to pray? This last week, I learned so much about prayer and learned that I still have much to learn about it. So I'm excited about this series. I hope that you are too. A vision for the valley. It's a vision for this place that we live. And so as we pray over these next weeks and learn about prayer over these next weeks, we're going to look at what does it mean to pray for this place, Valley Village, for Los Angeles, and what would God do with our prayers? And so the first question is really, what is prayer? And I think it's important that we start, and we've talked about this uh, many times, about the Trinity. That the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons, one God, are relationship. Loving, delighting relationship. Eternally loving and delighting in one another. And so God creates out of that love and delight. And he invites others into the delight that he experiences within the Trinity. And so prayer is then what we are made for. We are made to commune with God, to have fellowship with him, to be able to talk with him. And if we don't do that, we lose something of what it means to be human. If we fail to pray, we are neglecting that for which we are made. And so we see the disciples hanging out with Jesus, and they're watching him pray all the time. He gets up long before the sun rises, and he goes to prayer. And he goes up on the mountain and prays, and he's always kind of secluding himself and praying. And I wonder if his disciples kind of talked about it while he was off praying, thinking to themselves, What does he talk about? What does he do when he's out there? I feel like I have nothing to say after even just a few minutes. What is it that draws him out in prayer? How does he do it so easily? Because guess what? I don't pray like that. I wonder if they ask those questions. I wonder if they, like us, ever felt dissatisfied with their own prayers. They might say, you know what? And we might say, I wish I knew God like Jesus does. And so they say to Jesus, Jesus, teach us to pray, to pray like you do. And so the Lord's prayer gives us this incredible instruction on how to pray and what to pray for. And so this is a prayer uh, that is first to help us consider what we're about to do when we pray. 
And so it should start us, begin us in silence. We should really, in prayer, start with our hands over our mouths. My dad had this funny line he used to say when he'd get mad. He would say, you shut your mouth when you're talking to me. <laughs> right? And there's a sense of which prayer almost kind of begins like that. Close your mouth when you're talking to God. Right? Start in silence, in awe, in reverence. But we don't start like that, do we? We usually just jump immediately to ourselves. God, let me tell you what's wrong. Let me tell you what's wrong with the world. And let me tell you what's wrong with me and what I need. And what this prayer does is so genius is it makes us slow down. And it sets this tone for us. Jesus is saying to his disciples, and he's saying to us now, 2,000 years later, let me show you how to pray. So, before we dig into this prayer that Jesus has given us, let's pray together that he would use it in this hour. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for your instruction, for your comforting words to us. I pray that as we study the scripture this morning, that you would teach us to pray. Not just how to pray, that we would just do it. That you would teach us to pray more often, to delight in spending time with you. And so, Lord, comfort us this morning, challenge us this morning. And most of all, Lord, we just ask that you would be present with us, that you would speak to our hearts. You would illumine our hearts to your truth, that you would become more real to us, more precious to us, that you would transform us and make us into new people. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use me, a crooked stick, to draw a straight line to this truth that is your word. I ask it in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so let's take a look. The first line, pray then like this, our Father in heaven. I'm going to move these stands down a little bit so you guys can see this even better. So pray like this, our Father in heaven. Call up, call him, see if I can say it right here, calling upon God as Father. And so when we start with these words of my Father, in a sense, our prayer has already been answered. Because when we start this way, in it we realize our relationship to God. It's to begin with worship. My worth is found in being a son of the king. And that is God, my father. In John 1, verse 12, it says, But to all who did receive him, that is Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. How can we call God Father? It is through Jesus Christ alone. It is through belief in Him, through faith in Him, that we can even approach God as Father. God is in heaven. Our Father is in heaven. 
Uh, Ecclesiastes 5.2 says this, But be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. And so when we start this prayer, it's setting our position right, setting ourselves knowing God is above. God is in heaven. And so it's for us to remember that who we are praying to, we are praying to God who is all-powerful, God who is all-knowing, who is omnipresent, who is perfect. And remember that God in Christ has become your father. He knows all about you as a father knows his child. He knows how you are made. He knows your needs. He knows what is good for you. And so he loves you with a holy and perfect love, with a steadfast and everlasting love. He's not only able to help you, but he is ready to help you. And so when we pray, we must start there, our Father in heaven. Before we make a single request, we've got to reorient ourselves in our relationship to God as our Father through Jesus Christ, His Son. And it's amazing here, notice that it says, uh, our Father. Back here somewhere. It says, our Father. Notice it doesn't say, pray, my Father. But it says, pray, our Father. And so, it gives us this framework to pray with each other. <clears throat> Excuse me. It gives this framework to pray for each other. Our Father reminds us that we are part of a community. It's not just me and God. It's not just me and Jesus. It's me in relationship to God's people. And when we pray this together, we remind one another, our Father, our Father, we're together in this. We are a family. We are a member of his people. And so I cannot pray our Father in isolation. And so this prayer reminds me, again, that I'm part of a community, that I am part of a family, God's family, and he is our Father. Now, let's take a look at the petitions. There are six petitions, six requests made in this prayer, in the Lord's Prayer. And the first three petitions all concern God. Hallowed be thy name, right? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So, then, after we do these three petitions, we move to the petitions regarding ourselves, the us. We'll come back to that in a moment. But it's a good reminder, how quick are we in our prayer to just jump right into our needs? And so Jesus gives us this form to slow us down, to direct us toward God. His desires are more important than mine. And God knows our weakness, right? He knows that we just want to jump into being 
these me monsters. All I want to think about is me, and all I want to talk about is me. But God says, I know. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you this prayer that gives you this format that helps you to slow down. So he gives us three things to pray concerning himself. The first one, hallowed be your name. Now, the ancient Israelites had a practice of not saying the name of God. They revered it so highly that they said, it's so special and set apart, we won't even say it. We'll just say the name instead of Yahweh, the name that God gave them. And so a lot of times we beat up on the Old Testament guys, but in this case, they really got something good of, of the reverence of the name of God and holding it special and set apart. They maybe took it a little bit too far by not saying it at all, but we have to admire their, their respect for the name of God. So I think for us, when we say the name of God, there should be this sense of wanting to even just take off our shoes when we evoke even the name of God. God's name, Yahweh, is not just a name, but in that name is revealed all that God has revealed about himself in the scriptures. In his name, we see that he is perfectly good, that he is perfectly just, perfectly loving, in his name, we see these promises to restore and redeem all that is broken in this world. His name means I am. I am with you. I am faithful to my promises. I am your God. It's all in his name. And so to hallow his name is really to sanctify it, to set it apart, to set it aside as a sacred thing. And to see it not just as letters and sounds, but completely connected to his character, his attributes, his revelation, with deep awe and reverence. And so Jesus says, make that your first request when you pray, that God's name would be the most revered name in all of creation, the most beautiful name, the most worthy of adoration. The second petition. Your kingdom come. How does the kingdom of God come? It comes with the king. There is a bringer of the kingdom, and it is the king himself. And as we pray that the name of God would be hallowed, we quickly realize that it isn't. We live in a world where that name is not hallowed, where it is not sanctified and set apart. There is an opposition to God in this world. There is in this world a kingdom of darkness. There is a presence of evil. John the Baptist, in preaching, uh, referring to Jesus, he says, the kingdom is at hand. And so when the king is present, the kingdom 
is at hand. Jesus was overturning the kingdom of darkness as he healed the sick, as he cast out demons, and as he even raised the dead. And so the kingdom is at hand in Jesus. It is already, but it is also not yet. With Jesus, the kingdom had come, but not in its fullness. And so for that, we still wait. And so there's this sense that the kingdom is both already and also not yet. And so we pray for God's kingdom to come. And when we pray like that, what is it that we're praying for? We are praying that men and women would bow their hearts at the name of Jesus, that they would repent of sin. We're praying for the gospel to go out into the world. We're praying for more church plants. We're praying for God's people to be at work against the darkness and injustices of this world. That the kingdom of darkness would be destroyed. Thy kingdom come. And guess what? It's not a passive prayer. It's not saying, okay, God, thy kingdom come, do your thing. It actually involves us. We are to be engaged in the coming kingdom of God. It's a, an active prayer. It's a call for our involvement, our sharing, our faith. It's a call for us to care for the poor, to seek out the outcasts, the unlovable, and battling against the injustices of this world caring for orphans and widows. That is what it looks like to pray thy kingdom come and to be active in it. And this request also reminds us of the promise of Jesus to come again. All the darkness and evil of this world will be cast out all that is broken will be restored and the kingdom of God will return to paradise untainted by sin and death when Jesus comes again. Thy kingdom come. Be ready. Be on alert. So we begin our petitions by praying that God's name would be hallowed and that his kingdom would come in fullness. And then the third position, uh, petition. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There's this beautiful natural progression in these petitions. The name of God being hallowed. And then that God's kingdom would invade the darkness of this world with life, with beauty, with goodness. And then out of that, that God's will would, we be, would be done. That heaven would be a beautiful model for this earth. And so again, this is another active petition. Okay, so it calls us to action. It calls us to obedience and to submission. And so we don't pray this just for those people around us. We need to pray it for our own hearts. That God would help me to believe his promises and trust and submit to his will for my life as he is my father. 
What an amazing prayer. Jesus gives us this format with incredible principles to start in quiet reflection. Think about this whole format. Think about what you're going to do. Reflect on your relationship to God. He is our Father in Jesus Christ. And then pray these three petitions regarding God, that His name be hallowed, that His kingdom, who came in Christ, would now come in all its fullness, and that the will of God would be done in all creation, just as it is now being done in heaven. Do you maybe feel like you've never actually prayed this prayer? There's so much here. It's such an incredible thing. And so this prayer is not about just go through the mechanics of these words, our Father. It's really, it's, it's a skeleton that we can begin to put meat onto and fill it out ourselves. It's an incredible prayer. Okay, so we do these first three petitions for God. And then come our petitions, three petitions concerning us. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So we're moving from thy petitions for God to petitions for us now. And these three petitions, so simple, yet so profound because they encompass all of human life. Daily bread. It's a prayer for our physical needs. Forgiveness. It's a prayer for our emotional needs. Protect us from temptation and evil. It's a prayer for our spiritual needs. And so again, there's this beautiful perfect progression in this prayer. First importance, pray for the physical. The physical matters. Okay? Because I can't even get to the other parts if I'm not kept alive. So the first thing I pray for, God, keep me alive. Give me the things that I need daily. And then it takes us to the brokenness and sin that we experience to give us emotional healing. And then lastly, the spiritual. We're not just physical, but we are too spiritual. And there's a spiritual danger and darkness that looms. Okay, so let's take a look at the first one. Give us this day our daily bread. So this is not just food. This is not just put something in my stomach. But it's really encompassing uh, our, our daily needs for sustenance. Notice um, it's bread, uh, daily bread is about our necessities. It's what we need. It's not a prayer for luxuries. It's not a prayer for super abundance. Okay, so this prayer also reminds us where bread comes from. That bread comes from God. So when we receive our daily bread, we receive it from God. It is His gift to us. It is God that sustains us as He sustains this world. But the crazy thing is in our modern age, we tend to think we sustain ourselves, right? 
science, agriculture, commerce, like we've got it together, we can sustain ourselves. But this prayer reminds us, no, our sustenance, our daily sustenance is from God. It is He as our Father that sustains us. Let's take a look at Matthew 6, verses 7 and 8. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So you might ask, okay, so God knows what I need before I ask Him, but then I'm supposed to ask Him. God, you know what I need? Okay, now I need to go ask. Why, why does God do that? It's not about informing him, right? It's not about a tap on the shoulder. Hey, over here. Oh, didn't see over there. Let me set you up. Thanks for the reminder. It's not, it's not that at all. It's not informing him. What it is, is it's about relationship. What prayer does is it keeps us in touch with and in contact with God as our Father. God wants to hear the needs of His children. And so this prayer coming him, to Him with daily needs for daily sustenance keeps us daily connected. Think about this. If as a father He just gave us this huge lump sum and went, there you go, what are we going to do? We're probably going to never call on Him. Right, okay. Thanks for the sum, and then I'm just going to dig in on the gifts, and I eventually even just forget about where it came from. But God says, daily bread. Keep connected to me daily is what he's reminding us here. All right, the next one. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. What he's talking about here is sin. That sin is like a debt. I heard a pastor say once, imagine um, someone comes over to your house and, and breaks your lamp, right? And so there's a debt of this broken lamp. And so either the person that broke it can say, okay, I'll pay the debt, I'll replace the lamp. Or the owner of the house can say, okay, I'll, I got it. Don't worry about it. I'll pay the debt. But sin is a debt to God that must be paid. God in his perfect goodness is violated when we sin. Now, when someone sins against us, we feel that violation, right? We feel that debt. You know what? They owe me. They took something from me. Maybe it's a physical something. Maybe it's an emotional something, right? But somebody took something from me. Maybe it's dignity. There's a debt that must be paid. And so in this prayer, it refers to sin as debt, right? And you might be kind of troubled by this. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So is this prayer saying my forgiveness is earned? Am I forgiven on the contingency that I do the same? Well, let's take a look at uh, a couple other passages. Romans 3.28. 
For we hold that one is justified, that is accepted by God, by faith apart from works of the law. Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So, if that is true, then this doesn't mean that my salvation is contingent on my ability to forgive others. Here's what it is. It's proof that I've been forgiven. Someone who's been forgiven and received the forgiveness of God can say, you know what? I can forgive. My goodness, when I look at all that God has forgiven me, I can release other people of those debts. I don't have to to carry around the burden of those debts. I can let them go. And so this prayer is saying, because God has forgiven us, we are also able to forgive. It doesn't say, uh, forgive us because we forgive others. It doesn't say, forgive us on the grounds that we forgive. It says, forgive us as we also have. And so the two are connected. And so to forgive others is to be forgiven. Let's go to the last petition. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is a preemptive prayer. It's preemptive toward temptation. Okay, so let's think of the cookie jar, right? And so we've got the cookie jar. Now, maybe the cookie jar for you is an actual cookie jar, but maybe that cookie jar is something else. Maybe it's a lust for power, for possessions, for people. Maybe it's food. Maybe it is an actual cookie jar. And so if you've got the cookie jar... And, uh, and every day, I'm tempted by the cookie jar, and I put my hand in the cookie jar, and I take a cookie, and at the end of the day, I say, ah, forgive me, I took a cookie again. Okay, what this prayer is saying is praying before I ever even walk past the cookie jar. Don't lead me by the cookie jar, okay? I know the cookie jar is there, so God, in your power, help me just ignore it. Let me focus on you. Let me keep my eyes on you. Lead us not into temptation. Protect me. Protect me. Don't let me be easily tempted. Deliver us from evil. Where is there evil? There is evil in the king of evil who is Satan. But that's one place that there is evil. There's also often evil in our hearts. We do the things we don't want to do. We say the things we don't want to say. There's evil in this world. And so that uh, deliver us from evil in this prayer is evil in every shape and every form. Save us from it. Keep us from it. Rescue us from it. Because here's the thing. When we move Toward evil, we move away from God. And so you know what this request is at its heart? It's God, don't let anything come between us. 
Keep us connected. Don't let evil wedge in. Deliver us from that evil. Now the prayer ends with a doxology. Notice that it's not in Matthew there. Uh, this doxology, these last words of the prayer that uh, we say traditionally were found in later manuscripts. Okay, so uh, most Bibles don't put it in the text because they say, you know what, that seems like a later edition. We want to hold true to the, the, the earliest uh, transcripts, manuscripts, and so they leave it out. Now, is it okay for us to pray this? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's bringing us back to where we started from. It's a beautiful closing and doxology. It's a final encouragement to keep in perspective what we have prayed. It is to end in praise. It is to say, my prayer is ultimately not about me. It's about God. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So it's not my kingdom. It's God's kingdom. It's not my power. It's God's power. It's not my glory. It's God's glory. It all belongs to him. What are we going to do with this? I want us as a church to pray this prayer in this form. It's a skeleton that we can begin to fill out on our own. And so we're going to continue to pray it in skeleton form as we do here every week as a reminder to pray it in detail throughout our week. Now, I put together a, uh, a little handout here for you to take with you. So why don't we uh, pass them around. Take, let's do one per family, and uh, that should make it all the way around. And if we run out, then... Uh, I will get you one. But here's a good thing to take home that breaks down everything that we talked about today that will help you to put meat on the bones of that skeleton that is the Lord's Prayer. And let's see what God does with this. What if we all pray like this, daily seeking God? What would God do in this church? What would God do in this neighborhood? What would God do in this city? It's a vision for the valley. And so let's close praying it together with one unified voice. And here's the other amazing thing. When we pray this together, it unifies us with the church who prays it all around the world on this day, the Lord's Day. So people of God, let me invite you to stand. And let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this sermon and encourage you to become a regular member of our online community. To find out more about the church, visit our website at newcreationla.com.